Good morning. You can hear me all right? Praise the Lord. I'm really thankful to be invited uh, to be here. Um, let me give you a little background on myself. Um, I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. My family broke up when I was about four years old, and we uh, were taken up to New Jersey to live with our, our grandparents. And I was raised in the city of Newark, uh, in the housing projects of Newark, in a broken home, and uh, in a, a very tough, a poor, bad place, Jesus found my family. And uh, we were led to Christ, were discipled in an inner city church in that city, and then in God's mercy, uh, the Lord called me into ministry. Uh, the Lord provided for me eventually to wind up at Covenant College and uh, graduated from there. My wife, Joan, uh, grew up on the same block in the same housing project that I did in Newark. Uh, she actually was a year ahead of me, and she went to Covenant before me. She was the first uh, student to go from our church to Covenant. We were not a Presbyterian church. She was also the first African-American female to go to Covenant and to graduate. And uh, she kind of convinced me of Reformed theology and uh, uh, sort of has been a steering paddle for me for most of my life. Uh, so we've been married now about 46 years. And uh, in God's mercy, last Saturday, our last child got married. So uh, our, our only daughter and uh, is a big deal. And I'm glad it's over. <laughs> but it was a wonderful time. Um, God in his providence uh, allowed me to begin preaching when I was in Chattanooga, even as a college student, in a little mission that eventually uh, became New City Fellowship. And so I pastored that church for 36 years, and uh, then I stepped down five years ago and went full-time with uh, Mission to North America. I'm the coordinator of Urban and Mercy Ministries uh, for Mission to North America, and we also have a network of churches that's called the New City Network. And these are churches that are urban, cross-cultural, they include the poor, have joyful worship, and sound biblical teaching. And now we're in about 70 cities, uh, stretching coast to coast and in a couple of different countries. And uh, just the Lord's mercy is just being poured out on us. And I just want to tell you that there are some great ministries going on. Uh, you have one among you. JP and his family are seeking to plant and build a church. Uh, yesterday I was wearing a shirt they gave me. It said New City Fellowship. So I felt right at home and uh, really excited about what God is going to do here in Orangeburg. But I want you to know just all over the country there are some faithful men and women who are going into some very tough places and planting the flag of the gospel, and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So please uh, keep praying for them. Uh, I'm going to uh, pray first, and then uh, read the scripture uh, for us. So let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for another Sunday morning in which we can gather together freely here in the United States to worship you and praise your name. We have asked you today already, Lord, to forgive us our sins. Thank you that you are faithful and just to do that. We're asking that you'd send the Holy Spirit 
that you'd anoint me to preach the word, and that all the glory would go to you. We ask, Lord, that you would do a work of grace in our lives. And Father, we would ask you also to remember uh, those in Texas today and in Louisiana who are suffering from this great hurricane and uh, floods. We ask you to protect them, to deliver them, to look at the rainbow and remember your promise. And uh, we pray, Father, for those Christians who are helping others, especially in disaster response, that you would provide for them, give them strength and wisdom and ingenuity to know what to do. We just ask your blessing on them and on us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm going to uh, be reading from the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, or if it's on your phone like it is on mine, uh, please turn with me there to Galatians chapter 2. And I'm going to actually start reading at verse 11, but uh, we're going to pretty much cover the whole chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. But when Cephas came to Antioch, And this is, by the way, the Apostle Paul writing. So when you hear the word I, it means Paul. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God, who loved me, gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I've actually got some points this morning for my sermon. 
And I'm going to try to articulate them as we go along. Now, now by the way, I do have to say this. <clears throat> I'm a Presbyterian, and you're a Presbyterian. But I'm a different kind of Presbyterian. I'm one of those kind of Presbyterians who actually would like to hear other Presbyterians say amen out loud <laughs> when it is appropriate to do so. So if you have any ability to actually speak back to me as we go through this sermon, you are free to do it. Now, I know you'll have to live in shame uh, for the rest of your life here in the congregation after I leave, but at least this morning, help me out, okay? And when I say help me out, I really do mean that. It does help a preacher if he knows you're with them. You know, it's kind of my Presbyterian joke is, how do you know if a Presbyterian is really with you when you're preaching? And that is they lean forward, they frown, and they grunt. <laughs> and uh, that can be scary to preachers and not always. Now, you might want to entitle my sermon today, Keep in Step with the Gospel. Keep in Step with the Gospel. So let me uh, give you an introduction here. Let me paint the picture of what is happening. This is the book of Galatians. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, to those Christians there. And he's very concerned about them. Because he had led them to Christ, and now they're going to be, uh, they're tempted to be led astray to uh, a religion that's really not Christianity. It's, it's really a religion based on the law. You see, he had preached the gospel of grace. Uh, we all know, well, we should all know, that we are saved by grace through faith. Thank you. I mean, man, if a Presbyterian should say amen to anything, it ought to be the word grace. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. Nobody here, not one of us here, can stand in front of God uh, when we stand at the judgment and say, God, you got to let me in, because I earned it. You know how good I've been. You know how hard I tried. You know I'm better than those people. None of that will count. It's only by grace. In other words, God's mercy. That's what grace is. God's merciful power to enable us to do what we could never do on our own, and that is to believe in Christ. Jesus did all the work for us. He died for our sins. He became sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. It is only as we believe that Salvation comes to us. That's when God declares that you and I are righteous. You know, all our righteousness, the Bible says, are as filthy rags. In other words, even the good stuff that I do, and, and non-Christians can do good stuff, all right? And I'm sure some of you have been really, really good, probably much, much better than I ever was. But I will tell you, it doesn't count for anything unless it's done in Christ, because all of, it, all of it goes to your own glory, and God's not going to have any competition. All right? So Paul preached grace. And after he left, some other Jewish Christians, they called themselves Jewish Christians, Jewish believers, they came behind him to that church and to those churches, and they began to say, you know, grace isn't enough. That's really... You know, Paul was preaching good, but it's really not really all that you need. You actually need all the Old Testament law, 
and you need to be circumcised. In fact, you Gentiles basically need to become Jews. If you don't become a Jew, you can't really be a faithful, good follower of God. So yes, faith is good. Believe, you know what, what Jesus did die for our sins, all that is good. They, they weren't completely against the gospel because they never would have had a chance to even speak to these Christians. But they snuck in. They came in among the Christians and they began to say, you know, just very subtly, this, what you've been hearing from Paul is not really the, the whole thing. And Paul gets this news and he's very upset. In fact, he even says to the Galatians, you stupid Galatians. That's kind of insulting. And, uh, but sometimes I think as Christians, we need to get, get it put right in our face. What is wrong with you? He says to them. Why, why when you were finally set free, do you want to put yourself back in slavery? Why would you want to go back into the bondage of the law where you live in fear all the time that you're not good enough and you're trying so hard? Praise God, people. We have a gospel of mercy. You don't have to be here in church today trying to compete with other people and, and trying to act like you're good enough. Everybody who walks in, you know, we, we, we have this assumption about you. This is part of our theology as Presbyterians that you are really messed up. You know, if you came in, I'm coming to church today, and they're going to think I'm nice, and I'm going to fit in, and I want to keep up this image that I'm really good. Your pastor believes that you are totally depraved. Do you believe that? (coughs) Isn't that insulting? He doesn't think the best of you. He assumes the worst. Because he also is totally depraved. Me too. And we're all saved if we're saved by grace. And so Paul, as he writes to this church at Galatia, he says, you know, this reminds me of what happened when I was in the church at Antioch. Because that's where Paul first really got his ministry going. Barnabas went and got him. He had been wonderfully saved. Barnabas said, hey, Gentiles are coming to Christ up here at Antioch. And I need help. And so they came up there and they were discipling the people and teaching the people. And Paul says, just what's happening to you in Galatia happened to us at Antioch. We were up there preaching grace and some people snuck in. They came from Jerusalem. They, 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 they were Jews and they came in to spy out our freedom. And God gave me a revelation. And I, I said to Barnabas, we need to go up to Jerusalem from Antioch to Jerusalem, we need to go back up there and talk to the apostles and make sure that we're preaching the gospel. Maybe I've gone, maybe I've gone off the rails somewhere. Maybe my message isn't what we're supposed to be preaching. So I need to go back up to Jerusalem. It's almost, in a Presbyterian sense, like going back to Presbytery and saying to the elders and the pastors, am I preaching correctly? And so when Paul and Barnabas and Titus went up there to Jerusalem and they met with James and John and Peter and they said, this is what we're preaching, James and John and Peter said, that's it. 
That's, you're, you're preaching exactly the same way we are. God has given you the gospel. Hallelujah. And they gave him the right hand of fellowship. He said, keep going. The only thing we want you to do is to remember the poor. Now, let's look a little bit. My first point is this, God's view. And so if we look at chapter 2 and go to verse 6, Here's some things that we hear from Paul. And from those who seem to be influential, that is, again, the apostles, James, uh, Peter, and John. And here, it's funny what Paul says. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been trusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me from mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars and they were, perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. God's view of this. First of all, God is no respecter of persons. God is no respecter of persons. And God loves the poor. Those are two really cool things. Now, they may not be cool to you if you are famous, rich, influential, and assume that you got all of those things on your own merit. In fact, this may be bad news to you. If you, if you think you are superior to other people, and, you know, in our country, we've had this great racial uh, fight going on. He, you know, our history of slavery and the history of Jim Crow and segregation and civil rights laws and all these things. There are actually some people in our country who think they are superior to other people because of the color of their skin. Then there are people who think they're superior to other people because of their family tree. You know, we, we, in our country, we have all these groups. We have the Daughters of the Revolution. We have the Sons of the Confederacy. You know, we, we have all these groups, and we, we sign a link, link back, and we look, man, my family's really special. And, you know, we also probably have sons and daughters of gangsters and sons and daughters of hoodlums and horse thieves, you know, and, and the truth be told, there's probably a mixture in this church today. And that's kind of embarrassing. That you would actually go to church with somebody who's the son and daughter of a horse thief. Now, here's the cool thing. The gospel says, God doesn't care about your background. He's not impressed. And I confess that, that I am a very fleshly, earthly man. 
I'm impressed with worldly things. I, I wish I was taller <laughs> and better looking and younger and wealthier and more educated. I, I wish that the pastor had said, instead of, I don't want to bore you, with, I wish he had said, I want to read the exciting, wonderful things about our speaker today. I, I would have preferred that. But more than that, I would have preferred he actually had something to say. I'm caught up in, in, in a world of, you know, American... Uh, in America, we, we glorify the famous. And sometimes we glorify the infamous. They, they don't even have to be good... They, they just have to be in the, in the newspaper a lot. They can say outrageous things, and we elect them to presidency. I don't know who I'm referring to there, but... Uh, you could do all kinds of things in this country and be celebrated. People think you're something. God doesn't care. Now, look at the other extreme. Suppose you really are a gangster. Suppose you come from a horrible family. Suppose you have robbed widows. Suppose you have robbed churches. Suppose you have done, you've spent years in prison. You've been on drugs. You, you're just a horrible mess. And everybody has a right to despise you. And here's an amazing thing. God can save you. The blood of Christ can be applied to you. You can become a child of God. You can become, as it were, a prince of the church. You could become somebody who's brought up from, you know, I love what Hannah says in her prayer. She says, you've taken the beggar from the dung heap and sat him among princes. I like what Paul says. Brothers, think about what you were when you were called. Not many were noble. Not many were of good report, but God has chosen the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. That, that is the irony of grace. And so here you, you need to understand this from Paul's perspective. He goes up to talk to Peter and, and John and James. These are the pillars of the church. These are the men who had been with Jesus. And he, he says about them, I don't care. Because God is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter how long you've been in the Presbyterian church. You might be an elder. You might have been here for, your family might go back hundreds and hundreds of years. The question is, what about your humble heart before God? If your heart is arrogant and proud and you want to hold on to your glory, you're missing the grace of God. It's not about your reputation. It's not about whether you're thought to be special. My uniqueness, my specialness comes in the cross of Jesus Christ. My glory comes because God loved me and gave himself for me. I don't have any other claim. I've got nothing to bargain with. The only claim I've got is I was a sinner and I'm saved by grace. And I'm so grateful. And every once in a while, I fall on my face, and it reminds me again how much I need Jesus. Anybody share that experience? 
Yeah, amen. God's point of view. He's no respecter of persons. Your race, your ethnicity, your money, your education, your gender, whatever you think gives you privilege, it is nothing at the foot of the cross. You come to him like everybody else, broken and a sinner, and you need mercy. See, in certain churches, there'd be some shouting going on at that point. And these same guys, these guys who were brothers of Paul, they said to him, look, as you preach the gospel, one thing we want to ask you to do, remember the poor. Oh, I love that. That's one of the the coolest things in this book. Remember the poor. And I think too many of our churches have forgotten that admonition. God really does love the poor, and he doesn't want us to forget them. Because he doesn't want us to get caught up in some kind of middle class or upper class aspirational lifestyle. He wants us to stay at the foot of the cross. Uh, My second point is how culture, ethnicity, and bad theology can derail us. And uh, so let's look at back in chapter 2 again. And I want to look at a couple of verses that point this out. Verse 12. Uh, Paul says, for before certain men came from James, he's talking about Peter, he was eating with the Gentiles. So Peter had come down from Jerusalem, he comes to visit Antioch, and as he comes into the church, uh, I don't know if they're eating together every day, or if if this was uh, after worship, I I don't know when this happened, but Peter is eating with the Gentiles, and and. And there's no difference. He's, he's just eating with everybody. Now, you understand why this is important? Do you remember that Jews never ate with Gentiles? They would not go into the home of a Gentile. They were not allowed to eat food that had been cooked in the utensils of the Gentiles. You might understand it today as Orthodox Judaism. They, they were kosher they would not they didn't want to become unclean they so they would not mix with gentiles and peter had found this out when the, when god spoke to him to go to cornelius's house when god told him don't say that anything that i've created is unclean and peter goes oh i get it and so now peter is able to fellowship with gentiles and he understands that god is saving gentiles so he comes to the church at antioch just like I've come to your church today, and, and I'm shaking everybody's hand. And, 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 you know, and if I, maybe if you told me your name was a certain thing or you came from a certain place, and I said, oh, you would get the message pretty quick. You know, I'm here, but I'm, I'm really like these people, and I don't like you kind of people. And Peter, Peter's up there and he's mixing with everybody. Then all of a sudden, some more Jews come from James, from Jerusalem. And they come into the church. And as soon as Peter sees them, he goes, excuse me. And he starts hanging out with these Jewish believers. And when they eat, he won't eat with the Gentiles. He's going to eat only with the Jewish believers. And, and some of the other Jews who were there, like Barnabas... He says, oh, maybe, maybe I need to be over in this group too. 
And all of a sudden, there's this separation in the church. There's a segregation that's going on. And Paul is standing there. He's watching this. Uh-uh. No way. And he comes, hey, Peter. Now, you know, I, I, do you realize how embarrassing this is? Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago, and we're still hearing about it. Do you, you know, we get upset if anybody ever even mentions anything that we've done in church or anybody else knows about it. Paul writes it out. The whole world knows this happened. And Peter is being a hypocrite. And in fact, Paul says other people were drawn into his hypocrisy. That often is what happens when we give way to our prejudices. Uh, A lot of things are going on here, folks. There's bad theology because the Judaizers, they thought that you can't really be a full Christian unless you're circumcised and obey the law. There's also ethnicity going on and culture. All of those things are powerful. Do you ever judge anybody, by the way, by their culture? Do you you make pretty quick decisions when you see somebody, maybe the way they're dressed? Uh, Suppose you meet somebody, he's got a grill. You know what I mean by a grill? You know, all his teeth are gold. You go. Now, if, if, maybe by their language, they, they, their, their syntax, they, they don't speak uh, English as well as you think they, they ought to speak it. And you immediately make a snap judgment about their background, their race, their ethnicity, uh, their education, their social status. And immediately you decide, well, there's no worth there's no sense pursuing this relationship. There's no sense pursuing a friendship here. We, we are not the same kind of folk. That ever happened here in Orangeburg? Happen to any of us? It happens all the time, everywhere. What does Jesus say about that? Isn't it amazing that your brothers and sisters who could look completely different from you, speak differently from you, have nowhere near the education you do or the influence you do, but they are the people God wants you to die for. And the people who act like you and look like you and live in your very own neighborhood, they're the people who, in a sense, hate the very Christ you worship. There's some things out of whack here. And so Paul says, I had to confront him to his face and said, you're, you're a Jew and you're living like a Gentile up here. But when these Jews come, you go back to living like a Jew and make everybody else feel bad. What's with that? Now, it's kind of cool that it happened to Peter because Peter was kind of used to being rebuked. You know, This is sort of his legacy to us. Here is a man who is very human. He's very much like us. Peter is very much like us. And boy, he just got slammed. God went to all the trouble of giving him this vision so he would go to Cornelius' house. Now he goes up to Antioch and he messes up again. 
So bad theology, our culture, our ethnicity can derail us in terms of the fellowship we are supposed to have in Christ. Brothers and sisters, I came by here today to tell you that in Christ there is no east or west, north or south. I came by to tell you that God is no respecter of persons. I came by to tell you that if you're a white person, that you are a brother or sister to black people who love Jesus Christ. I came by to tell you that if you're an American Christian, you are a brother and sister to an immigrant Christian, whether he's legal or illegal. But if he loves the Lord Jesus Christ, he is your brother or sister. I was kind of fascinated when we were reading from Deuteronomy. And it said, Cursed is he who does not give justice to the sojourner. Ooh. That kind of speaks loud. Oh, brothers and sisters, God is watching. So, let me get to my last point. Our struggle is won through Christ. And it is a struggle. Sometimes we struggle against our own prejudices, uh, we struggle against our own bias, our own racism, our own ethnocentrism. Sometimes we struggle against our sense of superiority because of our money or education. And we fail. We, we sometimes blow it. I like what Paul says in verse 17. If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Because if I mess up, does that mean that Jesus messes up? If I mess up, does that mean that Jesus can't fix anybody? The answer is no. It just proves that I'm a transgressor. That's all it proves. And it proves I need more grace. And you need more grace. I haven't come by here today to condemn anybody. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But there is forgiveness. And there is help. And here's the last point of my sermon. Our struggle to be a Christian. And, and being a Christian is not just not telling lies and, and not looking at people of the opposite sex and lusting after them. Or not cheating on our income tax. Part of our Christianity is, is do we love our neighbors as ourselves? Are we people, a servant to other people? And, and, and on anything God calls on us to do, anything in the law, anything in the New Testament, any, no matter if it's negatively stated or positively stated, the reality is the sinfulness in me finds it hard to live the Christian life. Here is the victory, and it's found in verse 20. If you haven't memorized this verse yet in your Christian life, you need to do it. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the secret to the Christian life. When you became a believer in Christ, you were joined to Jesus. You had union with Christ in his death on the cross, and you died to the law. The law no longer controls you. The law no longer destroys you. You are set free from its power because the power of the law is sin in you. But we're free from that. And now 
the ability to live in Christian life is not my determination, not my willpower, not my trying to be correct. The power of Christianity is Jesus Christ living his life in and through you and in me by faith. I'm a man with prejudices. I'm a man with bias. I make very quick and snap judgments. And all of a sudden, I have to find myself repenting and saying, Jesus, help me. Help me to love this person because I don't want to. And I see the power of Christ helping me. And brothers and sisters, you know, this is some radical stuff. This is radical love. It's getting down and washing people's feet who the rest of the world says, why would you have anything to do with them? And the answer to that is simple. Because God says so. Because God loves them like he loves me. And what you look at on the outside could be just a mirage. I'm as messed up as anybody else in the world. I am only a believer through grace and mercy. Jesus had to shed his blood to wash me like he had to wash you. So please have hope and encouragement in Christ. Let his life be the power in you that helps you to love like you're supposed to love. Amen? Amen. Father God, help us. Please help us to be the people of God, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to stop judging them, for just worldly and earthly things. Oh God, please help us not to be hypocrites. When we fail, help us to find forgiveness and mercy in you once again. Jesus, live your life in us that the people of the world might see Christ. And in his name we pray, amen.